Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, you are a potential billionaire. $2.5 $2.5 billion to $3.3 billion heartbeats in your lifetime. Now, we're spending those heartbeats at a rate between 60 to 100 per minute. Every day, we're spending about 100,000, over 100,000 heartbeats. And not a single one of those heartbeats are really guaranteed to us. Like We never really know when that last beat is going to happen. And so we've been talking about embracing all that life has for us, that that we would carpe diem, that we would seize this day, that we would live wide awake to this moment that God has given to us. Like this moment, uh, I have breath in my lungs and there is a heart beating in my chest. There is a purpose that God has given to my life. He's put a soul in this body. He's put a, a beat in this heart and I am to live for him. So we've been talking about how do we do that? How do we live this life embracing every single moment that we've been giving, given? And so the, the first week we said, let's, let's just pray some quick prayers to God. Like, God, would you turn when into now? God, I don't want to just be living in the future. I, I don't want to just hope for one day. Let me live life to the fullest now. God, turn when into now. And then we said, well, what if we could just pray, God, would you turn my good intentions into godly actions? Rather than just having these good thoughts in my head, uh, let's turn that into action. Let's, let's not just simply think good things, let's do good things. And then finally we said, if we could just pray this prayer and let it happen in our lives, God, turn my whole heart to Jesus. Because I, I want to live, and I want to live life to the fullest, which means I'm going to have to let the maker of my life live and reign in my life. I'm going to receive Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And I'm not really living life until he takes my dead spirit. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions, and then breathes life into me as I turn from my sin, receive him as Lord and Savior, and now I have him living his life in me. So if we're going to live wide awake, we just need to make sure that we understand why we've been put here by this God who longs to have this relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then last week we said, if we're going to live the kind of life that he wants us to, how would we leave a godly legacy? What could be said about us after we're gone? Well, in order to, to embrace and live wide awake there, we said, we're going to need to say what needs to be said. That, that we're going to say those positive things, we're going to say the meaningful things that need to be said in our life, and we're not going to hold those back. And then we're going to do what God wants us to do. It's not enough just to, to know what God wants us to do. We need to actually walk that out. And very closely related, we said we need to live how God wants us to live. We need to live in such a way that his life is being lived out through us, that the Holy Spirit, and the reason we have a Holy Spirit is because we're not holy in and of ourselves, and we need his holiness to help us to walk out this transformed life that he wants to do on the inside of us as we become wholehearted followers of Jesus. So this is how we're starting to wrap our minds around, okay, how can we live this life to the fullest and not let just life pass us by? Our theme verse is kind of Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5. We've been reading this each week just to remind ourselves. Psalm 39 verse 4, 
O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. We've only got a certain number of heartbeats left in our chest, and it will be gone before we know it. We're just a mere breath. And my thought is that uh, on our deathbed, if that's how the Lord may take us home, on our deathbed, uh, we're probably not going to be laying there thinking about how many pairs of shoes we own. We're not going to be worried about what kind of rate of return we're getting on our money market. We're not going to be laying there thinking, oh man, I should have gotten the automatic high beam option on my new car. I don't think those things are going to be going through our head on our deathbed. I think we're going to be thinking about those things that are most important in this life. And what I think is most important in this life is our relationships. And the reason that I would say one of the most important things in life is our relationships is because of how Jesus lived. Because Jesus is God. And so I'm just going to look to the one who made all things, created all things, and made me for my cue on this. How should I then live? And so Jesus, who is God, comes to earth to show us who God is and how to live. And he taught us what, what we need to do and how we should live. And when you look at the life of Jesus, it's very interesting. You could take all that he did and you could put it in three primary relationships that he had. He had his relationship with his heavenly father. Right, We would often find him, and he would be alone with the Father. He'd be up on a mountain. He'd be alone. He'd be there early in the morning, and he'd be talking with his Father. And then he had his relationship with his disciples. So over and over, we find them interacting and doing life together. And then he had his relationship with the world, the world that he came to save, people who didn't yet know him. And so in these three relationships, we find the importance for our own lives. And so around here at the church, we kind of boil that down and we say, we're here to love God, right? Love the Father. We're here to love God, to love the church, and then to love the world. And the reason that we would say that is because, well, that's what Jesus was all about. He was all about loving the Father. He was all about loving the disciples for us. That's the body of Christ and loving this world beyond us. But in order for love to take root, in order for those relationships to get stronger, do you know what it takes? Time. It just takes time. Uh, so we talk about God time and group time and go time, right? We want God time. We want to we be with the Father just as Jesus exemplified. Like we're, we're encouraging people just to take 1% of their day. That's like 15 minutes as a starting point and just begin to interact with the one who made you that you would read his words, that you would pray to him, that you, you would sit in his presence and you would be connected to your God. And then we talk about God time in the sense of this is what we do corporately. We, we spend some time as a body of Christ worshiping God. That's what we've done today. And we encourage you to take you know, some time out of every single week to do that. And then there's group time. That, that's where we spend time you know, it, with one another. That you, you would take some time, like seven hours every month. That's 1% of your month. And you would invest it into other people and let them invest into your life in a group. And then we talk about go time, and that's about 2% of our life every year. That's a week. If we would take a week and we'd be real intentional about being cross-cultural in our mission, maybe going across some boundaries and interacting with people who don't know the Lord yet out in this world, maybe even short-term mission trips that God would call us to so that we might witness of who God is. 
And I would say for some of you, you're doing okay on the God time. Like you're spending like 15 minutes of your time praying to him, reading the word. And maybe for you, your next step is this group time. Maybe your next step is getting involved in a life group here at the church. And so that's really our emphasis for today is that you would take that next step if you have not yet done so, that you would see Pastor Paul at the next step table after this, you'd sign up online and you would do life together because we really can't do that on a Sunday morning. Like we can to some degree get to know one another, especially if we pour out into the cafe and have a cup of coffee with one another. But really when you come in here, we're just kind of sitting in rows. You know the back of the person's head in front of you, and that, that's about it, right? So we can't really get to know one another, and in a church's size, you feel like a number. We think that life really happens not in rows, it happens in circles. It happens when we can see each other face-to-face, and we can bless one another, and we can encourage one another. And so we try to set up environments where that happens. And one of the best places is in people's homes where we can sit down and do life together. This is what Jesus was all about. Again, when I read through the Scripture and I look at the Gospels, I find just these meaningful, impactful relationships that Jesus had with others, and he is calling us to do the very same thing. And so we kind of go back to the the question that we've been asking ourselves, what would you do if you had a month to live? What what would you do in your relationships if you had a month to live? My guess is, if you realize you've just got 30 days, those relationships are going to take on kind of a a, a new posture. Like I would imagine, like if you knew you had a limited number of days, you got four weeks left, 30 days, a week left, your relationship with God would take on a new level of understanding. I would imagine if you knew your heartbeats were going to end and you're going to the other side and you're going to meet this creator that you get real interested, I would hope, in what he has to say in your relationship with him. I would also imagine that you would be thinking about all of the kind of the vertical relationships that you have that God's brought into your life your friends, your family, those who are most important to you, and you would begin to invest in those as heavily as you could if you knew you had just like one month to live. And all of this really echoes what Jesus had to say is most important in life. If you recall, there was this moment where somebody came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, could you please tell me what the greatest commandment is? I've read a bunch of them in the Bible. I know there's a lot in there. I know there's a lot of commands. Could you boil it down for me? I just want want to move in one direction. I want to keep my focus laser-centered. What is that great commandment, Jesus? And Jesus said, basically, if you want uh, the commandment's greatest hits, here it is. And Jesus reaches all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where we find the Shema. The Shema means hear. This is something that the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people would repeat often, over and over. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus repeats the next verse. He says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Both of those commandments, the guy only asked for one, but both of those commandments have to do with relationship. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that we would love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would also love our neighbor as ourself. These two things in the mind of Christ, they are connected. 
And what we have to understand is that God has created us for relationships. He has divinely destined you and me not to live in isolation. We don't want to go back there. Not to live alone, but to be connected with others. And my guess is, if you're like me, we all have relationships that could be stronger. We could all have these relationships that are better than they are now. And for some of us in the room, we would have to say we've got relationships that are broken and they need healing. Maybe for you, it's a relationship with a mom or a dad. And it's not what it used to be. Or maybe it's a friend. And you once were close to that friend, but something has happened and now you're estranged. Maybe there was an argument and there's anger and there's, there's bitterness and there's a grudge. And so we have to intentionally move in the direction of making sure that those kinds of things aren't interrupting our relationship with others. And now, let me just say this as we kind of get started and, and talk about this particular topic of healing relationships. This room's going to get tense. And there's a part of me that would rather preach about something else today, because I think this is one of those things that hits us all square in the heart. So don't, don't let that awkwardness make you feel like you're alone. I think all of us need to lean into what God has for us today. And so I would say if you've come to a place in your life where there are strained relationships, whether there's anger, bitterness, or grudge, let's look at what God's word says. And there's a whole bunch of verses. So I I picked one to start with, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'd like, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing this. And he starts this out in verse 1 of chapter 4, and he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So in other words, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are believers, people who would say, yeah, I'm representing Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. Uh, I've repented of my sin. I'm following him. I have Jesus in my life. And so Paul's saying, uh, let's go ahead and live that out. And if you've got some relationships that are strained, here is his encouragement. Uh, walk in a manner with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now that word eager, it means to strive earnestly. This word eager means that we are going to to fight for peace, that our intention is in all of our relationships, we will do what it takes for there to be peace. Uh, How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator? Uh, you want to admit to it in church? Uh, I've, I've seen it, right? Like, um, it, it's, it's this, this uh, Maximus, remember? And there's so many great, like, quotes in there. Like, uh, what you do here echoes for eternity. Uh, there's just the, these moments where he's going, and he's going from Colosseum to Colosseum, and he's fighting, right? Like, he's killing all of these people, and he's really good at his job. Uh, if you remember one scene, he goes in, and he just destroys everybody, and the whole crowd's like, what? And he's like, are you not entertained? I am entertained. That was amazing. What you just pulled off there, that's fantastic. Now he's a slave. He is forced to do these things. What is he doing? He is fighting for his life. He has to fight to survive. He is striving eagerly. And this is what God is calling us to do in our relationships as believers, to fight for peace, to push into that to be eager to fight for the spirit of the bond of peace among us. And so if you have a relationship that is challenged, God is calling you to fight for peace. 
to not get stuck in what has been done to you or what has been said, not to stay in those challenging things that have happened, but to fight for peace. Now, let me say this as a caveat as we kind of get going here. Uh, if you're in a relationship and you're being abused, don't stay there. I, I'm, not, I'm not inviting you to be a punching bag. You need to get to a safe place, all right? So we're not talking uh, about that. Definitely, I'm not talking about actually fighting physically for peace. Much of the time, though, what God is calling us to do is to work hard to live out the life of Christ so that we might strive eagerly to have this peace. How are they going to know we're Christians, like the world looking at us? Well, by our love, by us living in in unity, by Christ living his life through us. And so we must strive eagerly for this kind of peace. But many people, they'd just rather kind of like call it quits. They, They don't care about the relationship. They're not interested in fighting for peace, but we have to. We have to deal with it. Bible tells us in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. As much as it depends on you. Now, this, this means you can't control somebody's response. I'm going to give us some information today on, on how we can kind of walk out what it looks like to heal some relationships and I just want you to know, like, this isn't a magic formula. Like, you do these three things and everything's going to be perfect. No, you don't know that because you can't control the other person. They may not want to forgive you. That's on them, right? They, they may not forgive you. But as far as it depends on us, I'm going to work towards peace. I, I'm going to work towards these things that are in Ephesians chapter 4. Like, I'm going to move forward in humility and Uh, gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, as far as it depends on me, like I'm going to have a clean slate here and I'm going to push in toward let's have a bit of peace in Christ. Again, you can't control somebody else. But as far as it depends on you, those relationships that are broken, that part is on you to move toward peace. How do we do that? Well, again, pastor, three things. First thing is this. I would encourage you to confront humbly, to confront humbly. Now, this can be challenging because nobody likes to confront. Well, some people like to confront. <laughs> you, you tend to avoid them, but nobody really like, gets excited about confrontation. This is when our heart beats really fast. We don't like that kind of thing, but this is what we're called to. And it can be challenging, especially based on the person that you're going to confront humbly, because everybody's a little bit different. So you're going to need a bit of emotional intelligence and some, some EQ, right, as you move in the direction of confronting somebody, somebody but doing it humbly. And again, we have to do this because this is what moves us in the direction of wholeness. If you don't do this kind of thing in your relationships, I'm telling you, this is going to affect your relationship with God. Jesus gave the great commandment in, in two here, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself because they're connected, right? You got the, the vertical part, and then you got the horizontal part, and they meet. And when one of those is out of whack, the other is affected. And so if you have relationships that are askew in your life, my guess is a lot of time you're not really interested in opening your mouth and praising God. Like you, I, I don't know that I want to go to church. I don't know that I want to you know, worship God wholeheartedly because you have these relationships that are all out of whack. They're connected. This is what Jesus said. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
So, so God is saying, uh, if you're going to worship me and then you realize you've got this broken relationship, go ahead and take care of that and then come back here. And this isn't an excuse to say, well, I'm not going to worship God because I have these other relationships that aren't all ironed out. Because again, it's a symbiotic relationship here where we have a relationship with God. He pours his love into us, and now we have the ability to interact with others. But God is also saying, don't just make your life so spiritual that you're ruining all these relationships around you because you stand as a witness for me. You can't be a hypocrite. You, you can't come in here and pretend to be, hey, everything's great, and destroy relationships all around you. Do the effort of working toward peace. And for God to bring peace, a lot of times confrontation has to precede it. And I know we don't like that. Many of us, we just don't want that. We just want to pray, God, God, could you just kind of do some God magic here, right? Like sprinkle some God magic and then maybe we'll all just hold hands and skip and sing Kumbaya and pretend like everything's fine. But that's not how life works, We step into the messiness of life in order to find the healing that is needed. We confront humbly. That means as you go toward that person, you're not doing it out of arrogance. You're not doing it out of anger. You're not doing it out of spite. You're moving forward humbly. You begin to move forward just bathed in prayer. God, would you pour into my life everything that you have said is mine in you? God, would you give me gentleness? Would you give me a humble heart? Would you make me like Christ, please? Because I can't do this on my own. So my question is, who do you need to confront humbly? What's their name? What's the situation? Time's short. The next thing we need to do is we need to love deeply. Love deeply. In the world that we live, I think you throw out the word love and it's just really messed up immediately because we get our cues from everything in this world. We get, we get our idea of what love is by uh, Hollywood, right? We, we listen to love songs and we watch movies, but that really begins to skew what love is. And even this world, I mean, the way that this world pulls on our heart, we make love everything about us. We make love self-centered. We make love, uh, make, well, that's probably an inappropriate word. Uh, we, we, make it to be, we make it to be self-promoting, right? We needed some levity in the room, so please, God, anything you've got to kind of lighten the room. So this is what we think. Like, if you can give something to me, well, then, then I love you. But if you have nothing for me, I'm just going to write you off. And I'm not going to love you. But that's not what God calls us to. This isn't Christ-like love. Christ's love begins to push us in the direction of, this is uncomfortable. I really think I'm giving more than I'm receiving. It pushes us to this place of, I just need to do all that it takes to love deeply. This is, this is what it says in 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly right? Not, not the shallow kind of, what am I going to get from this? But what can I give sacrificially in love? It's uncomfortable, but God is calling us to this kind of thing. Like, no more macho man, no more lone ranger, no more, well, I tried to love one time, and now I can't do it. No, he is calling us to love deeply. Back to verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Can you imagine that kind of love? Where it just covers anything that anybody does to you. Anything that anybody says to you. 
Like, I'm just going to move in the direction of love. I'm going to keep short accounts. I'm not going to hold these things against you. I'm going to love you deeply. Isn't that unique? Isn't that something that could only come from the transformation of Jesus Christ on the inside of us? That's not a natural love. That is a deep love from the Father, and it is placed into our hearts. This is the kind of love that Jesus gives. He's always covering a multitude of our sins. This is who he is. So we're going to love, and we're going to love like we've never loved before. So my question is, who do you need to love? Who is it that, I mean, they're really hard to love. The situation is tough. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe it's challenged in some way. But who do you need to love deeply? So we're going to confront humbly. We're going to love deeply. Then we're going to forgive irrationally. Forgive irrationally. Some of you were hoping that wouldn't be point number three. Forgive irrationally. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is a challenge. And I think what generally gets in the way of forgiveness, my estimation, my opinion, is pride and control. We, we don't want to forgive because of pride and control. I, I, I don't want to forgive. Uh, I want to protect my reputation. I want to protect myself. I, I don't want to fall on the sword. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to do any of that. And we want to control. As long as I don't forgive somebody else, well, I still feel like, well, they're on my hook, right? They, they still owe me something. I think it is pride and it's control. And where does pride and control come from? Well, that comes from our flesh. Pride and control comes from our old nature, Our old nature is the part that was dead and replaced by a new nature being alive in Jesus Christ. And yet many times we go back to that old nature, we try to revive that dead body, and we're going to hang on to uh, pride and control. We want to control everything and everyone, and as long as I can be angry at you and be mad, I'm kind of controlling this situation. It's all about like how I have been hurt, what I feel, and what I am owed. I'm not really interested in letting go of any of those things. This, again, Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul, again, writing to Christians, put on then. So choose your will to put on. What are we going to put on? Put on as God's chosen ones. Again, this is for Christians. Non-Christians can't put these things on and appropriate them in the same way that Christians can. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what? Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, let me stop there for a second. Some of you have legitimate complaints. Like, you have a legitimate complaint against somebody else. Some of you, you have been hurt badly. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been wronged, just tremendous situations. And I'm thinking to myself, God, how are we going to forgive those who've abused us? How do we forgive those who hurt us, who beat us, who gossiped, who maligned, who slandered? God, how, how do you get yourself to this place where you can look at somebody else and say, I forgive you of whatever? Like, there may be a consequence for you, but it's not coming from me. I forgive you. How can we do that? And then God gives us the answer. He says to forgive as the Lord forgave you. So if one has a complaint against another, legitimate complaint, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you might forgive. 
So also you could consider forgiving. So you also, if you feel like it, could forgive. No, what's the word there? You must forgive as the Lord forgave you. So take a little journey in your mind. And let's start thinking about all that God has forgiven you. I mean, what has God forgiven you of? He's forgiven you of anger. Some of us in the room has, has forgiven us of harmful addiction, forgiven us of lust, of control, of manipulation, some besetting sin, something that just kind of pops its head up time and time again in our life. And we come to God and we say, oh, I'm so sorry. God, would you please forgive me? God, would you, would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? And God's like, yeah, I will because I'm faithful and I'm just. And I'll forgive you of your sins and I'll purify you of all righteousness. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for doing that. And then what do we do the next day? Same sin. God, would you please forgive me? I said I would never do it again, but here I am. I'm doing it again. And you are on this sin cycle just over and over. And you keep coming to God in repentance, true repentance. And God, would you forgive me? And he's like every single time, yes, yes, yes. When I think about how much God has forgiven me of, thank you, God, for all that you have washed away in my life time and again. And because he has forgiven us, we must forgive. Not an option. We must forgive. We can't live in hypocrisy. In the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, forgive us our debts. As. The word as, just like the word that we found here in Colossians 13, as the Lord has forgiven. Forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. In other words, God, why don't you go ahead and forgive me just like I forgive others? Hold me, God, to the same standard that I hold others to. I don't know about you, but I want a whole bunch of forgiveness from God. I want a whole bunch of grace because I need it and a whole bunch of mercy. And so I don't need to be holding anybody to some standard that I am unwilling to live under myself. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Peter one time, he comes up to Jesus and it's in Matthew 18, 21. Peter says, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And Peter's been walking with Jesus for a while, and I can imagine he's thinking, you know, I'm going to need to up my, my game here. I'm going to need to up the number that I throw out. Like, Jesus, I'm thinking of a number between zero and seven. As many as seven times, Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I don't tell you to forgive us seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times, seven times. Like, you just go ahead and keep on forgiving, Peter. You just keep leaning into that. You forgive. I mean, look at Jesus. What did he forgive in just like a 24-hour period? In a 24-hour period, he was betrayed by a friend. Ever been there before? He was arrested, and he was taken to a court, and he was tried for crimes he never committed he didn't do anything wrong. And those that are in the room are punching him. 
and spitting on him. They take him and they, they turn him over to like the enemy Romans. Here, you take him. The Roman soldiers take him. They start beating him. They whip him over and over, flesh falling off of his body. They put a crown of thorns on his head, press it down, give him a cross, put it on his back that is bloody, and force him to march up a hill where they're going to hang him in the sun to die. He is there on the cross. People are walking by and they're jeering him. You said you were something. You're nothing. Pathetic. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who do you need to forgive? What's their name? Next question is this. Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Maybe you're the one who's wronged somebody. You're the one who's lied. You're the one who has gossiped. You're the one who has hurt somebody else. Who do you need to go and ask forgiveness? I would just say, do it today. Carpe diem, seize this day. We don't know when that last heartbeat is going to hit. Our time is short. So why not step into forgiveness, to forgive others and to receive it today? To confront humbly, to love deeply, to forgive irrationally. I mean, isn't this what Jesus has done for us? Isn't this how God treated us? Doesn't he he confront our sin? Doesn't he come and convict us of our sin? Doesn't, Doesn't he love us so deeply that he would leave heaven, like Jesus left the glories of heaven, comes to earth and dies in our place, dies for our sin out of a deep heart of love so that you and I might experience irrational, crazy forgiveness in the picture of God's grace over our lives. His, his mercy and withholding of his wrath and the gift of salvation given to us, which is absolutely irrational. God confronts us, loves us deeply, and forgives irrationally. And the reason he does that is so that we might have a right relationship with him, so that we can truly love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And as we do so, as the spirit of the living Christ is transforming us through the power of his spirit, filling us with his love, now that love that is overflowing our heart can now be spilt out on others around us. And now we can love with the same kind of love that God has poured into our hearts. That's the call of a Christian. This is how we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, so that we don't have to be stuck in this place of sin and separation from you. Thank you for dying in our place, taking on all of the sin and shame and guilt of our lives upon the cross, and then giving to us your righteousness. Thank you for rising from the grave, giving us life, true life, being a conqueror over death, hell, and the grave, and now living in us. And as a result, Father, of being chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, live your life in us and through us. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that we have received. 
Thank you for the irrational forgiveness and deep love given to us. Now, Father, as we go from this place, we want to give that away as well. Help us, Father, to care about these relationships that we have around us, to love deeply and to forgive. We can't do that on our own. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.